I'm Chris McBrien, and the pop culture from Generation X is everything to me. And I'm Derek Myers, and I'm here to educate Chris on the great pop culture of today's generation. Episode 89, 2018, In Memoriam. Chris McBride here, along with Derek Myers, as always. Derek, it's been a little while since we did a show. How are you, my friend? I'm doing great, Chris. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing good. Lots of things to get to at the top of the show. Do you want to tell us a little bit about what's been going on in your life? Anything uh, you want to keep us up to date on as far as pop culture goes or just anything in general? Um, sure. Well, I mean, we had a few weeks between uh, between episodes and I did a little bit of traveling over the holidays and that gave me some time to watch some movies. Uh, I, I re-watched a lot of my favorites, but uh, I did end up watching a few newer movies or at least new to me. Uh, just going to run down the list real quick and let you know what I thought here. Uh, I got a chance to see the new movie Aquaman. Oh, and when did you it? know, I, I'm a big comic book nerd. Oh, you so, are, yeah. Yeah, they had my oh, You're a comic book guy. I would never use the word nerd to sure. describe you. Uh, I, I enjoyed it. It was, uh, it reminded me very much of like an 80s style Schwarzenegger adventure action movie. He, he, you know, they're not going to win any Oscars for best screenplay. It's this, you know, big muscly guy doing heroic things, throwing out these cheesy lines. Uh, the special effects were fantastic. And I really, I really enjoyed it. It was exactly what I expected. And, and I had a lot of fun with it. And so, you know, I, I, I'm glad I saw it. Good. The, the cheesy uh, 80s thing is, it's a good thing, right? Yeah, 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 for sure. I like uh, a couple other ones I saw. I watched uh, the movie Skyscraper with oh. The Rock. Uh, it's basically oh. Die Hard the Next Generation. Is Nev Campbell in that? Uh, she is. Oh, man, I haven't she seen her in a long time. She's Canadian. Uh, she is indeed. She looked great. She had a, a small part, but it was a, a strong part, which is always nice. You know, you know, a lot of these macho movies are all, you know, the men, the men, the men. And uh, although she doesn't have a big part, her character is military. So she has some like fight scenes and things where she's using her mind to overcome problems. So it was it was nice to see a under underrated actress. Character. I think she's an, she's an underrated Absolutely. actress. I think she's a very good actress, too. Um, two movies I saw that will probably be nominated for awards. I saw the Spike Lee film Black Klansman. Oh, that looks good. It, uh, it it was certainly a heavy topic, but yeah. yeah, it was it was quite good. I I really enjoyed it, and I think the message is as relevant today as you know when when all of that uh, all of the racism and all the rest of that was happening. I mean, it, it, the movie. Not too much of a spoiler here, but the movie, although it takes place in, I want to say, the late 60s, early 70s, uh, at the end of it, it sort of cuts fast forwards to like now and shows examples of how some of these same problems are still happening. And it, it really sort of just emphasizes, puts a big stamp on the end of it to say, like, you know, we've we've come a long way, but we've still got a long way to go. And some of these problems are still very real problems. So but the performances were great. And I mean, Spike Lee knows how to make a movie. Um, the other one I want to talk about very briefly is called Roma. Have you heard of this one, Chris? No, I haven't. So Roma is, um, uh, foreign language film. It takes place. It's a period piece that takes place in Mexico and it is available on Netflix. Uh, so, uh, I, I would strongly encourage you to take a look at it. Uh, the director, his name escapes me. I'm fairly certain it's the same guy who directed the movie gravity. If I remember correctly with Sandra Bullock. Mm-hmm. I I could be wrong, I th- but it's it's definitely the that record. was Quaron, wasn't it? Uh, that yeah, okay, that's the guy. Yeah, uh, and uh, the movie is brilliantly shot. 
the performances are great. It's obviously not an English language film, so that will certainly give it a challenge in the awards department. But I would not be surprised when the Oscar awards come out fairly certain if this movie gets a whole bunch of awards. So uh, if you're out there and um, you got Netflix and you've got two hours to kill – Give it a try. It's slow. It's a slow burn, but it is it is worth your two hours. Uh, so a couple of things I wanted to get to before I actually get to them. I, sh- I should mention, if, if, if anybody wants to get in touch with Derek or I, you can go to the website, popgoesyourworld.com. All of our contact information is on there. If you're on Twitter, you can reach out to us. You can reach Derek at Amaron underscore DM on Twitter. And on Twitter, you'll find me at C McBrien. And speaking of Twitter, one of my good friends on Twitter is Luke Martin. So Luke is a great guy, and he and I have you know, been friends for a number of years. We, we we first became friends playing fantasy baseball and talking about baseball and that kind of stuff, and now it's kind of, you know, moved into movies and stuff we talk about. So he he's down from the States, you know, and as I mentioned, I'm from Canada. Uh, and so I mentioned on a previous show how I like pecan rolls, and I don't know, we had an argument if I'm saying that right. I don't know if it's pecan or pecan. I don't know. I say pecan. It's a, Canadian, it's a Canadian way to say it, I guess. So I was down in Georgia years ago. I was going down to Florida or something like that. And I stopped in Georgia and I found these pecan rolls and they're like these pecan logs. And it's like a log of like this white, I don't know what it is, sweet nougat or something. And it's got these pecans all like stuck on the outside of it. And I was in Georgia and I tried it. And I was like, oh my God, these are so good. Why are these available across the country? I don't understand, you know? And um, so I mentioned that on a previous show. So Luke reached out to me and sent me a box of them. Nice. Oh my gosh, they were so good. So I opened these up and and, and so so I, I, I sent him a, a message, right? I said, I have a picture with the box. I said, the box arrived. Thank you so much, Luke. I appreciate it. And he's like, don't try not to eat them all. Like share them if you can. So I'm like, yeah. So I like, uh, yeah, I will. I, I didn't. No, I'm just kidding. Um, So I actually, <laughs> I gave some to my son too. He's like, oh my God, what's that, dad? So I, I said, if you eat all your dinner tonight, we'll, we'll share one. So he ate all his dinner and I cut it up into pieces and, and even him, he's like, these are so good. I'm like, I know we don't get these in Canada. So huge shout out to Luke Martin. You can get, reach him on Twitter at Luke R Martin. Follow him. He's a great guy, super nice guy. And I just want to say thanks, Luke, because that was really awesome. So I, 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 this Canadian got some pecan or pecan logs, not sure. Um, and the other thing I wanted to mention is just tonight um, was I was getting ready to make dinner or something like that. And I had a couple of minutes and my wife's like, oh, we're going to put something on TV. The kids were busy. So I said, well, you got to put on, there's a local Canadian station up here that plays old 70s and 80s TV shows. So I said, you got to put it on at 530 because they play Happy Days. And she put it on and it was the one where Fonzie jumps the shark. No, oh, really? Yeah. And she's like, what is this? And it's a two part one. It's a two part. It's actually, I'm, I'm really looking forward to the next episode because this was the first episode. They're out in California and I'm like, oh, this is one where he jumps a shark. And I, I go, it's a two part episode. It ends with shark. She's like, how do you know this? And then it gets, gets to the end and he was doing a race and the guy that he's racing against, they do like a, a water ski race. And the guy that he's racing against is from Animal House, the, the actor that plays Greg Marmalard in Animal House. I was like, oh my God, it's so good. And then they're showing um, Fonzie's girlfriend. Like he meets this girl in California, right? And, it, and, and it's Lorette Spang. I'm like, oh, she's from Battlestar Galactica, the old Battlestar Galactica show from the 70s. She was Cassiopeia. And I'm like, my wife's like, how do you know all this? I'm like, I do a <laughs> podcast on this stuff. I just love this. So anyway, Fonzie, Jumping the Shark was on tonight. I was really excited. It was pretty cool. Well, I don't, I don't know if we're going to be able to beat that. That's a pretty significant highlighted pop culture, especially for you. I know, man. This, I just, just hope the rest of the show doesn't jump the shark. Hold on. I got, 
I gotta open a beer. I gotta I have a say, beer. I need to take a big swig of mine. Too. <laughs> Let's have a drink because this is gonna be a lot of fun. Almost like a pirate radio guy during the war. Like <laughs> I just go back and watch Meatballs and Stripes and Spooky the Bandit and all those shows that I love. Instead of playing a bar, they should have played like a minor league hockey arena. Yeah, Jeez, man, young man, drive me crazy with this stuff. And that wasn't cool. Long duck dong. For those of you who have not been keeping count, I have. Jaws, Star Wars, and Raiders of the Lost Ark are my three favorite movies of all time. Holiday wrap. Yes, we're going to ring reggae dong for a horny day. Okay, so why don't we get started here? Uh, we mentioned at the top of the show, it's 2018 in memoriam. So every year, for the past, this is like our third year we've done this, Derek, hard to believe. Um, over the past three years, we always look back on the year that just concluded. And we kind of do so by looking back at some of the people that we lost in pop culture, because it's it's just a time to reflect. We obviously want to stay positive and look forward to the year to come. But it's, I think it's important from a pop culture perspective to also look back at the people that we, that you know, that we've lost. And there's a lot of big names that we lost, but there's a couple of, I guess, lesser known people as well that I I'd like to touch touch base on tonight and just kind of reflect on them and what they meant to me, you know, personally from a pop culture perspective. And we'll just kind of just have a conversation tonight and just kind of share our thoughts on some of the people um, that have touched our lives over the years and that we had to say goodbye to last year. Um, do you want to start things off for us, Derek? Do you have the honors? Sure. Okay. So uh, I think I have. To, I would be remiss if I didn't start with uh, the passing of comic book legend Stan Lee. Of course. Uh, now we did a show previously where we, uh, you know, did an in memoriam to Stan Lee specifically. We talked about him, so I don't think we need to rehash that here today. Other than just again to acknowledge that uh, he was a visionary. He was a genius, in my opinion, and I think in many people's opinion, he he changed pop culture forever. He created characters that will potentially live on for hundreds of years, I hope, or longer, and uh, he will be missed. And I'm just going to uh, leave it at that because we've already gone down that road. Absolutely. So is there is there anyone else you want to touch base on then? Uh, sure. Okay. Uh, I will touch base on another one that we sort of touched on previously when he passed is uh, 70s sex icon, Burt Reynolds. Oh, yes. Burt Reynolds. Oh, man. Boogie Nights, for those of us who uh, who remember that, one of his last great performances, uh, I mean, Cannonball Run, uh, uh, Smoking the Bandit, like Burt Reynolds was the real man's man. He was he was the symbol of masculinity and macho. Uh, and, you know, he, he seemed like he was a great guy. Like you, you if you got to believe that his acting and his performances stem from his real life, uh, he always just came across to me like a guy that you would genuinely want to hang out with he's a guy you'd want to go have a beer with you know it's uh uh his performances were great the movies he was in were great uh i mean they were very much of their time i think if you went back and watched some of them now they might seem a little cheesy or corny but at the time like in 1977 when star wars came out it smoking the bandit was a number two movie behind star wars like people forget how big a cultural phenomenon star wars was if there was no star wars that year smoking the bandit would have been number one like it was that that big a thing behind Star Wars, um, but yeah, Burt Reynolds, uh, the late great Burt Reynolds. Uh, I just I'd like to build on that a little bit because you know you mentioned you mentioned some of his big movies, right? You Cannibal Run and Smokey and the Bandit, but to me, one of my favorite movies that he did was Stroker Ace. I just, oh, it was like such a bad movie. It bombed. And the, like you got to remember too, like you're, you're mentioning, you're, you're totally right. When Smokey the Bandit came out, it was it was huge. It was big. And and for a stretch there, I want to say from about 78 till about 81, 82, Burt Reynolds was the highest grossing actor in Hollywood. 
like his movies, like he was just the, the, the icon of the day. Right. And he went through this period where like from smoking the band and like you said, and, 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 and cannibal run and things like that, that made so much money, but stroker ace came out and it bombed. And, but I love that movie. I don't care. It was like NASCAR. I'm not even a NASCAR fan. And I used to watch that movie over and over. Him and Jim Neighbors. <laughs> it was so good. So good. And another one that he did too, that it kind of went unnoticed, but I think it was, it was a lot better than people think because in 1982, he actually did a musical and it was the best little whorehouse in Texas. They did a, a movie version of it. It was a, a play for years on Broadway. Right. And so then they made a movie out of it. And, and when they came out with it, they're like, what? Like Dolly Parton said, okay, well, Dolly Parton can sing. We get that Burt Reynolds. What? And so he played the lead role in it and he had to sing and dance and it sounds terrible and it's awful. It actually wasn't that bad. And I remember Charles Durning was even nominated for best supporting actor in that movie. Like it was, it wasn't as bad as you think. So that's another one he liked. And then another thing I'll just mention about Burt Reynolds and we'll move on is, as you know, I love game shows. Yes. And I've always loved so game do shows. I. So oh, do I. I love game shows. Like the ones from the 70s and 80s that are on the game yeah, show network. Those are the best ones. I'll watch them over and over again all night long. And Right kind of at the, the height of like in the early 80s kind of thing when game shows were still really, really big, the big thing. Um, he actually turned to television and started up a game show with his good friend, Bert Convy. And they did a show and it was called Win, Lose, or Draw. And it was based on a, sh- on a game. Yeah. It was a game that they played at Bert Reynolds' house. He would invite his friends over. He'd invite Jim Neighbors over and Bert Convy. And they'd get together at his house. And they'd have a few drinks and they'd play this game called Win, Lose, or Draw, where they had this big easel and they would draw pictures and try to guess what it was. And so they made it into a show. And the show was actually, it's very dated, very 80s. Um, they're, you know, wearing the sweaters and stuff like that, but it was really good. So anybody, if you haven't seen it, uh, look up win, lose or draw. There's lots of, uh, episodes available on YouTube. So you can always go and check that out. Um, I'd like to mention somebody and I think you would like him as well. And he started out, I think he was born in like Rhode Island and then went out to Chicago and, and kind of made his mark as a magician. And that was Harry Anderson. So he, he was a magician and, but he, you know, like any good magician, the thing was he had this unbelievable personality, right? And his hook was that he always wore a hat. Right. And and he just had this unbelievable personality and he was a good magician too, but he also really engaged with the audience. So Saturday Night Live went through kind of a rough period after they got rid of their original cast of not ready for primetime players. And so by 1981, Saturday Night Live was kind of on the rocks. Right. And they brought him in. He, he wasn't a like a, a, a cast member, but he was a regular guest on the show. He'd come and do his magic act and the audience went nuts. They just loved him and they loved him so much that the new this new show that came out in 82 called Cheers hired him as a regular to come on and he played Harry the Hat. And he was so popular with the audience that he ended up getting his own show, Night Court. And Harry, and, and he never really did much after that, never went into movies, he never did films or anything like that, but he was unbelievably charismatic. And if you only know him for Night Court, you got to realize there's a lot more to that guy than you think. He was one of the best magicians that I'd ever seen and certainly one of the most charismatic. And, and he died last year on April the 16th of 2018 at the age of 65. And uh, Harry Anderson was a guy I'm going to miss. I liked him a lot. Yeah, so did I. I had him on my list to talk about if you uh, overlooked him. And yeah, just like you, I knew him from uh, Night Court primarily, but I do remember him guest starring on uh, Cheers a few times. And uh, yeah, Night Court's one of those shows, right? When they used to have the must-see TV Thursdays, that was part of the lineup for a long time. It was Cheers and Night Court, and then Cosby came in. And uh, yeah, very fond memories of as a youngster watching uh, watching Night Court and, and really enjoying it. Okay, so uh, who else did, last year did, did we lose that kind of touched you personally? Um, 
Let's look behind the camera for a minute. Good. Director Milos Forman. Oh, that's a good one. Directed One Floor of the Cuckoo's Nest, probably, I guess, his, his most famous, uh, Amadeus. Um, uh, People vs. Larry Flint, his favorite mm-hmm. of mine. Ragtime. Uh, you know, he had he has a huge IMDb list. You look down his list of credits and you're like, holy cow, I can't believe like one guy made this many great movies. Uh, I don't think he'd done anything recently. Like the guy was, uh, he was 86 uh, when he died. So uh, I, I suspect he sort of slowed down as, uh, as life caught up with him, but uh, he left a phenomenal body of work behind and, uh, and it's unfortunate. He'll be missed. Mm-hmm. Uh, one that I, so one thing that I did recently, you kind of turned me on to the fact that there was like these free preview channels that we were getting over the Christmas holidays. You, you were like texting me like, hey, we get these free preview channels. There's a channel of all like 70s movies. There's one of 80s movies. And uh, you were like, Superman's on there. And I was like, oh no. So I went and recorded it. Superman and Superman 2. The one from 1978 and then Superman 2 from 81. And so I made my son, who's nine, I made him watch it with me. We watched Superman and he loved it. He loved it. And, and this is a kid that's, you know, growing up watching all these new superhero movies, you know, with all the CGI and everything. You know, I, I was a little trepidatious. I mean, how is he going to take a 1978 movie, you know, with no real special effects? And it's not a big, huge story, right? It's just, you know, not a lot of action and stuff. It's just what it is. And he loved it. And, you know, so we went back and watched it. And I and I really liked it. And it really hit me because I realized that Margot Kidder died last year. And, you know, she's Canadian. So there's that, right? But also, like, like you know, she was, I think you kind of forget because you only really know her really from the Superman movie. She didn't do much else. I mean, she did the Amityville Horror and she was in a really good Canadian movie from 74 called Black Christmas. But other than that, she's known for Superman. But you know what? She's iconic. She really, really is. And I don't say that lightly because, you know, she's Lois Lane for for heaven's sakes. And no matter what they've done since, no matter how many remakes of this, she will always be Lois Lane. And she was so good in that movie. And we haven't got around to watching Superman 2 yet. I can't wait till he watches it because as far as sequels go, Superman 2 is one of the best sequels that has ever been made. It is so good. It's so much better than the original. The original was good. but And she was great in the sequel, too. She's got so much more. Her character really, really goes. Um, they really get into her character and the relationship with Superman a lot more in the second one. But uh, Marco Kidder, Canadian, kind of miss her. Yep. Agreed. And agree with your comment on Superman, too. Definitely uh, one of the best sequels. Yes. All right. Uh, let's. Uh, you were talking about Harry Anderson, best yes. known for uh, eighty sitcom. I'm going to go to another sitcom star, Charlotte Ray. Oh yes. Charlotte Ray died at ninety two, so she lived a long, fruitful life. Uh, most people will remember her as Mrs. Garrett from The Facts of Life, and before that, from Different Strokes. Um, you know, again, this is one of those shows. Growing up in the eighties. You know, they were. I was a little young when these shows were first airing, but I sort of uh, saw them in reruns as I got a little bit older, sort of towards the end of the '80s and the early '90s. But uh, it, it would be hard to uh, imagine a show like The Facts of Life without her in it. Like you can't. I can't really think of anyone else uh, that that would have held that show together. It had a rotating cast for a number of years, and uh, you know, she was the the matriarch of that show. You had all these young actors. Uh, that that maybe people didn't recognize as much, and Charlotte Ray was the name that that launched the Facts of Life show and and kept it running for what do you think? It had to run almost ten years, I would think. Um, What's and, that? The Facts uh, of Life? Yeah, well, the Facts of Life ran seven years, I think. Yeah, at least that. Yeah. And uh, and again, even those early, uh, I think it was probably only the first season of Different Strokes. But uh, again, it was the same character. She was the housekeeper, and uh, you know, it was it was. Uh, 
uh, an important role in the show. Uh, and, uh, you know, again, that's, I always remember her as, as, uh, as Mrs. Garrett. And I think many, many people who, uh, who enjoyed her work will. And, uh, again, we, we will miss her passing at 92. A couple of comments on Charlotte Ray, if I could, um, because this is, this is an observation. So I mentioned my son, he's nine. And one big difference that I noticed from him, and maybe it's just me. I don't know. Maybe you can help me out to understand this. He's nine, but I mean, like the things he watches now, of course, he's got, you know, Netflix and, and everything else to be able to watch all this at his fingertips, which I didn't have when I was a kid. But I started when I was really young, when I was like seven, eight years old, like I was watching like sitcoms and just like loving them and like was into all this stuff when it first ran. And one of them was Different Strokes. And when it came out in 78, like I loved it. I thought it was great. I mean, maybe it was because, you know, uh, Gary Coleman. I don't know what it was, but I thought she... What you talking about, Willis? Yeah, exactly. And, and, and it, I loved it. And, and and I remember, you know, years later when I was an adult, when DVDs came out, I went and purchased the, the first season of Different Strokes on DVD and watching, again, just this flood of memories. I remember watching them as a kid and, and, and Abraham the Goldfish and all that just kind of came back yeah. to me. And, 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 and she was a big part of it. She was in the first two seasons. She was just such a big part of that show. She had she was so interesting because she didn't you know and I want to say this in in a nice way like she just didn't look like a traditional actress you know like you would see on TV and and, and my wife made a comment about this the other day we were watching an, an old game show because that's what I make her do and she's like you know what back then you know people look like normal people and I'm like, yes. I mean, if they were to do that show today, everybody on it would be like beautiful and just gorgeous people. Like Mrs. Garrett would be, you know, be played by some model or something like that. And but back then it was like they had real people on it. And and she there was something about her that was just so now she came from the theater, you know, she had a strong theater background, but as an actress, there was something about her that was just so incredibly genuine. And real and caring. And, and I can see why somebody you saw her fit to do that part. And not only to do that part, but then also to get uh, her own show with uh, the Facts of Life. You know, God, she was good. Um, we usually talk about movies. And, we, and, and this one has a little bit of a movie uh, angle to it. And Aretha Franklin uh, died last year. And, you know, I, just, when you talk about singers, like, you know, we, we mentioned before about Freddie Mercury. Freddie Mercury is the greatest singer that ever lived. He's the greatest singer that ever will live. Um, but as far as female singers go, uh, Aretha Franklin's got that sewn up. Like, it's just unbelievable talent. Like, just, and and the thing for me was was that she, there was two sort of things that that she was important for me, you know, other than the singing. And one was that she sang America the Beautiful at WrestleMania three. <laughs> so that, that was important to me. And the other thing was, she was in one of my favorite movies of all time. And in 1980, when this movie came out, she was actually considered to be a little bit washed up and kind of a nobody at that point. And the Blues Brothers came along and they decided to put her in it. And I remember the producers of the film uh, at the studio, they were uh, they were against that. They thought, why don't you want to put Aretha Franklin? And, you know, she's old hat. You know what I mean? That's uh, Motown stuff. You don't want that in there. And they're like, no, we want her in this movie. And it really resurrected her career and James Brown and all these people that they put in the movie. But, um, and I think it, it kind of opened her up to a whole new audience and really just kind of continued her career. She was outstanding, man. One of the greatest voices ever, Aretha Franklin. Well, and I think you know we we would be remiss if we didn't mention the the um, song "Respect." I mean, this is an anthem. This is a girl power song. Like this song was important the day it came out, and it's just as important today. And you know, I, I've seen many shows and movies, and I've heard from parents who have daughters. 
and they teach them this song and they say like this is a song that was sung by this woman who was you know demanding the respect that women deserve and i think that uh you know in- included in in aretha franklin's body of work this the song respect has to be held as the pinnacle and as as a piece of pop culture that is tremendously important and should never be forgotten i agree and going back to the blues brothers for a second i love that whole movie i love everything about that movie it's one of my favorite movies that's ever been made and one of my favorite scenes if not my favorite scene in the whole movie is when she sings think in the diner i just yeah. there's something about that scene and, and the blues brothers get into it and they're kind of dancing along with her there's something about that scene that is just out of this world Oh, it was just so good. She was outstanding. So, anyway, who have you got next? Who do you want to talk? All right. About? Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with the the musical. Then I've got a, a couple of names to add. Sure. So, um, we lost Dolores O'Rourke, who was the lead singer of the band The Cranberries. And if you were into music in the '90s, and I was, because that's when I was at university, was '93 to '98. The Cranberries were a huge band. They had mega hits. On alternative radio, the songs "Linger," the song "Zombie," the song "Salvation," um, the 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 band was huge, and her voice and her talent was at the forefront of this band. And she, um, you know, the band sort of they peaked. They had these couple of huge albums, and I'd like to think that for years later they continued to. Well, I know they continued to work as musicians, but they they never really achieved that same level of success afterwards. I'd like to think they live they're living off royalties and commissions and all of that good stuff. And from what I understand, she was she continued to uh, perform as a musician and work as a musician. She was 46 years old. Uh, she drowned due to complications uh, uh, with alcohol and pills. Um, it was unfortunate, just an unfortunate series of circumstances. Um, and uh, as an Irish woman, uh, she was a role model for a lot of people, a lot of young girls in uh, in Ireland and in Europe. And her passing was felt greatly, probably more so in Europe than North America. But uh, she had a voice unlike anyone else we've heard, and um, we'll miss her. So I sometimes, as you may know, like some obscure movies. Uh, usually they're Gen X movies, as you know. <clears throat> uh, so <clears throat> I'm a huge fan of Jaws. <clears throat> Excuse me. And I, I, we know that. I've talked about Jaws many times on the podcast. But there's another movie that came out after Jaws. And this is a lost art form, I believe, this film. And it is not a spoof, okay? But it's more of what I, I don't even know what I would describe it. I guess the word I would use to describe it is a send up. Like an homage, yeah, like a, kind a of par- like a, a parody. No, like, it's it, not a parody. It's more like okay, a. Well, it's more like an homage, a bit of a send up, I guess is, okay. is is the way I would. And it's 1978's Piranha. So this movie is about these uh, these sort of crazy, like mutated piranha fish that this uh, like military group puts together, and they kind of make this uh, these piranha fish so that they can swim up the rivers in Vietnam, apparently, and you know. That's what they did it for, to try and get up the rivers and, you know, eat the Vietnamese, the Viet Cong, I guess, to help the Americans win the war or something like that. And it all went wrong and everything. So, but they, but they kept a bunch of them and then they accidentally get released into this river in like the middle of the United States somewhere. And they, of course, you know, wreak havoc and there's like kids at a camp and they all get, you know, chewed up by these piranha and all this is going on. And it's like all, but it's, but it's not like it was done by Roger Corman. So, so, but it wasn't like a parody. It wasn't 
like that. It was just, it didn't take itself too seriously, but seriously enough, you know what I mean? And you could tell that they were having fun when they were making it, but they did take itself somewhat seriously. And it kind of did, it was a send up of Jaws in the process, you know, because Jaws was like the biggest thing. You don't go in the water. Well, now there's piranha fish in the water. Oh, they're going to get you. And it was just, so it was kind of tongue in cheek. They remade this movie a number of years ago. um, And I think it was with like, oh, who was it? Like, oh. I can't remember who it was. I think it was the the fat kid from Stand By Me. He's like Jerry O'Connell. He's bigger now, or so he's like a, he's like a hunk or something now. I don't know. But they did it wrong because they they when they redid it. First of all, they did it three D and they made it like campy, 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 campy. They missed the mark. It wasn't about being campy. It was about sending up Jaws, and it had a different sort of feel to it. And anyway, the reason I mentioned all that, I love that movie a lot. And Bradford Dillman was the lead actor in that, and I loved him in that movie. And it always struck me that he was never a bigger star than he was because um, I thought he was so such a strong actor in that movie and he died last year he was also he did some TV you know like way back in the day like the man from uncle and stuff like that but he never really became anything too big um, Heather Menzies was in that as well she died just a couple years ago as well but Bradford Dillman there's just something about that movie Piranha that I've always loved it's always stayed with me when my son gets old enough it's still a little bit mature for him when he gets old enough I'll let him watch it as well but Bradford Dillman uh, was in that movie and so as a result I was sad to see him go. Oh, there you go. I, I, I'll get to be honest. I've never heard of the movie. I've never heard of the actor. Then hopefully this is an opportunity for people like yourself that are listening to go, mm, maybe I'll check this out. Maybe I'll go watch this movie. Hopefully you'll, watch, well, I gotta you'll be, like it. I got to be honest, based on the description you just gave, there's no chance I'm going to look at that movie. <laughs> or the new one, for that matter. The new one, no, but the so. old one, I'm telling you, it's better than you think. Uh, okay, I'm going to take your word for that one and, and leave it at that. All right, go for it. What do you got? All right, uh, Chris, uh, you're a fan of uh, uh, of films by great directors. I am. The great Stanley Kubrick made a movie called Full Metal Jacket. Have you ever heard of it? Yes, I have. Have you ever seen it? I have not. Really? Yeah, no, I haven't seen it. Believe it or not. Wow. Okay, we're gonna have to look at that one down the road then. Uh, so, Full Metal Jacket um, is basically uh, it's Vietnam era movie. It's it's essentially two movies that are an hour long each. And they're joined together in the middle, and some of the characters appear in both sides of the story. The first half is boot camp. It's a bunch of people who have been drafted into the army, and they've got to go through boot camp. And in my opinion, that first half is an outstanding film. The second half, much less so. But if you look at it as a whole, it's still pretty good. In the first half of the movie in boot camp, there is an actor who plays the like the I can't think of what you call him the guy who's in charge of the boot camp the military dude jeez the sergeant the drill sergeant sure we'll call him sergeant yeah, drill we'll sergeant drill that's sergeant. what I'm thinking yeah um and he was played by actor R Lee Ermy and uh th- as far as I if I remember correctly that was his first uh, or one of his first performances he was outstanding as the drill sergeant uh and then after that he uh continued to get work sort of typecast that same kind of role because he had this great look this great voice he was always like a military guy or like a advisor to a president or someone uh he also went on uh later in his life he was one of the voices in toy story of the little green army men oh again that's the kind of role he tended to have, and he had this very distinct voice, and he was like the main little green army man from Toy Story, so he, he appeared much of those. He was also in the movie Seven with Brad Pitt and um, Morgan Freeman, one of my all-time favorites. Please tell me you've seen that one. Um, which one was that? Sorry? Seven. Oh, yes, I have seen Seven. Oh, it is really good. Okay. Yeah. 
Okay. Uh, yeah. He plays like the police captain. Yes. Uh, again, he's always like this surly guy, and he's like, oh, they, you know, he's sitting down, and the phone rings. This isn't even my desk, and he just slams the phone down. He always played that kind of a guy, and he was always great. Uh, he passed this year at the age of 74. I mean, he wasn't a young guy, and he wasn't a young guy when we first met him on screen, but, uh, uh, you know, obviously he, uh, he sort of peaked later in his life. Uh, had a great acting career, but one of the things that I remember reading was when he was uh, doing Full Metal Jacket, Kubrick was had this reputation as a perfectionist. He would have actors redo scenes dozens of times, sometimes 50 or more times until it was just right. And a lot of actors were like, I'm never working with Kubrick again. Everyone wanted to work with him because he was a genius, and then they're like, I'm never working with him again. He's a slave driver. Apparently, when... Um, Arlie Ermey was in the scenes that, that he was in for the most part, they only had to do them one or two times. And uh, Kubrick was like, that was perfect. We're great. We're done. And the thought afterwards, a lot like now that uh, Kubrick has died, people are like, was it because Kubrick genuinely felt that the scene was that good? Or was the actor that intimidating that Kubrick didn't want to piss him off? And have him do the scene 10 times and have him get angry because his character was always so mad and angry and violent and yelling and this incredible intimidating force. Uh, so I always thought that was, uh, that was sort of a neat uh, conundrum. Was he really that good an actor? Maybe he was, or was he really just that intimidating in real life? And Kubrick was like, you shots, we're good. Let's move on. <laughs> Possibly maybe a little bit from column A, a little bit from column B. I don't well, know. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, so we talk a lot about actors and directors and things like that, but sometimes we overlook writers and one of the, you know, and, and I'm, I've, I've done a lot of theater in my day as, as you know, and uh, so I've always had a big respect for, for playwrights, especially, but, uh, and one of the greatest of all time, whether you like him or not, whether you think he was just a little bit too mainstream or whatever, but one of the greatest playwrights who ever lived, you can't argue was Neil Simon. And we lost him last year and he was phenomenal. And the thing is he's remembered for writing a lot of great plays, but he also did a lot of television, especially early television when television was in its infancy with things like your show of shows or the Gary Moore show. Like he was one of the writers on those, you know, and Phil Silvers and things like that. And then he went on to write all these plays that became, you know, so they were just so relatable that they just translated well to the screen. Not a lot of plays translate well to the screen. A lot of times you get great plays, you try to make them into a movie and they just, it just doesn't work. Right. But his just did because they were all about the characters and the interaction between the characters was so strong. And that's why they were able to make such great movies out of things like the odd couple, you know, and California suite and, you know, the sunshine boys and things like that. And the goodbye girl. And, you know, I could go on. on. And then they even made the, the TV show in the seventies, the odd couple, you know, with Jack Klugman and, and Tony Randall. And it was, <clears throat> he was so good. And one of the movies that he made that came out in like 1980, 1981, uh, which is one of my all-time favorites, this little tiny movie. And it was with Chevy Chase and Goldie Hawn called Seems Like Old Times. And Neil Simon wrote it. And this movie is just, there's something about that movie that I always loved as a kid and still as an adult. It's just got this charm to it and this interaction and the dialogue is top-notch. Neil Simon was one of the greatest playwrights that ever lived. I don't think I can add anything to that. I got to agree 100% with everything you just said. Um, okay, I, I want to. Uh, I want to. We'll stick with the, the vein that you've just gone down here. The idea of writing. Uh, we're going to look at writing and producing. Stephen Bochco. Oh yes. Known for such huge '80s hits as Hill Street Blues such and L.A. Law. Yep. L.A. Law was one that I remember uh, enjoying. Again, I was probably about. 
11 or 12 when it first came on the air and I can remember watching it. I remember my parents liked it, so I got to stay up late to watch it with them. And again, maybe I didn't necessarily understand all the plot lines, but a couple years later when I got a little older and they're showing it in reruns and I'm watching it again and and uh, always enjoyed it. He was also responsible for Doogie Howser MD, which uh, you know, launched uh, Neil Patrick Harris's career. And uh, I don't know if the show still holds up, but I did see it on one of my channels here. They're starting to show it in reruns. So, did, did, or yet, did you even watch an episode of it yet? I, I literally turned it on. It was yeah. that right at the end when Doogie's like typing his journal into the into the Word program, and I was like, oh, I missed it. So, but uh, Stephen Bochco, writer and producer of dozens of great shows. Uh, you know, obviously a couple of flops under his belt. Uh, one notable one was called Cop Rock which was like a musical yep, police. I remember that. And it bombed. It bombed. It was like, it, it, really, it got canceled like, season one. I remember that. Yeah. This was like, it was cops the and they would just break into music and break into song. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. It was like here from the guy who could do no wrong. Who's done the greatest shows that are sweeping all of the awards. He's got this new show and it tanked. And then of course, a couple years later he did NYPD blue and that sort of put him back up onto that lofty uh, perch that he rightfully deserved to be on. Uh, Stephen Bochco died at 74 this year. You mentioned uh, great directors and one of the greatest directors, uh, he was a great actor and then became a great director was Clint Eastwood and still is Clint Eastwood. And, um, yeah, yeah, no, 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 no. But one of the things is, is, is that back in the seventies when he was making movies before he was directing uh full out, he was as an actor, um, he was very popular. Right. And his, his frequent co-star was Sandra Locke and she died last year. And I just want to give her a little bit of a, of a mention here because Sandra Locke kind of goes, you go down, goes down in history sometimes as a bit of a footnote. And I remember even at the time she received a lot of criticism from people because it seemed like every movie that she was ever in was in the movie with him, right? Because she did The Gauntlet and Every Which Way But Loose and Any Which Way You Can. And, you know, she did all these movies with him. I love those movies too. (laughs) And and, and, and I I thought they were great. And, you know, right right, or left her and Clyde. Remember that? Oh, so good. Um, But uh, but, so she took a lot of criticism because it was like, oh, she's only in the movie because she's his real life girlfriend, you know? But I think that, that, that doesn't, doesn't tell the whole story because I think she was actually a really, really good actress. And she was in one movie in particular from 1980, this little tiny movie that kind of came and went with very little fanfare. But I remember watching it as a kid and being intrigued by it. And it was called Bronco Billy. And if you haven't seen it or haven't heard of it, just look it up. Okay. And if you get a chance, watch it. And it's about these people that basically go town to town and they do this kind of rodeo circus act, for lack of a better term. And they just cling, it's about clinging on to that dream of wanting to be in show business. You know what I mean? And, and wanting to go town to town and being famous and putting on a show for people. And it was, it was very, it was, it was kind of melancholic, but it was, it was, there was something about that movie that I really, really enjoyed. And she was in that, and her performance in that movie has always stayed with me. So I think she gets a lot of negative press, you know, and then she basically, after they broke up, she didn't really work again until her death. She hardly worked at all. And so, you know, she got a lot of criticism for only working because of her relationship with Clint, but the work that she did was actually quite memorable. And she was in a lot of movies that I really, really liked. So I just want to give her Sandra Locke a little bit of a shout out there. And uh, interesting. You mentioned that uh, we were talking earlier about those free movie channels. We were getting preview of, mm-hmm. they did a dirty, hairy marathon Ooh, where they were showing, uh, it was tightrope, sudden impact. Sudden impact. And, yeah. Uh, 
Oh, man. I think the first one was just called Dirty Harry, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, the first uh, one was Dirty anyway, Harry. Anyway, yeah, it was those three. They kept showing those three over a couple of days, so I was sort of flicking between those and some other things. It's been a long time since I saw those movies, but man, oh, man, were they violent. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. Oh, no kidding. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but no, Clint Eastwood was so good in those. Um, okay, I'm, I'm going to... Maybe, maybe, uh, maybe I'm just gonna, one, one, one or two more. And we'll yeah, just kind I was going to say, I'm going to give you one more. Yeah. And this is, this is sort of my obscure one. This is, uh, this is my, uh, uh, you know, uh, millennial one, if you will. So there is a Canadian rock band called Walk Off the Earth. Have you ever heard of them, Chris? I have not. All right. So they, they've had some, uh, some pretty big hits, some good success in in the last few years, they had a big hit called Red Hands. They had a big hit called Rule the World. More recently, they had one called Hold On. Um, but what really has catapulted them into uh, fame for a lot of people, what's really introduced a lot of people to this band, is they understand how to use the video medium unlike any band that is currently out there. And you know me, I love, love, love me some 80s music videos. So I try to keep on top of what's popular in the music video world. Uh, Walk Off the Earth has found an incredible niche for covering other artists' songs and doing these crazy videos to illustrate and demonstrate these songs. And the thing is, they don't use traditional instruments when they cover these songs, or they use them in unusual ways. And a few years ago, Walk Off the Earth took the song Somebody That I Used to Know by Goche. It was like a big one-hit wonder a few years ago. They did a cover of that where it was the five members of the band, all five of them playing a single guitar. It's a, a still camera, that's just the five band members standing around the various parts of the guitar and, and playing it in different ways. It's one long four minute shot of them singing the song with nothing but the guitar. And it's an incredible video. It's an incredible rendition of this song, which is already a great song. And it's got, uh, I wrote this down so I wouldn't forget 185 million views on YouTube. It, it, it basically exploded when it came onto onto the video scene, and that has now set them up. They do like a new one every month where they pick up. Most times, it's a very popular song, something that's been popular recently, and they cover it in some strange and unusual way. And they have these very creative videos that go with it. So um, this this is my my long way around on this. Uh, the last week of December, uh, one of the members of the band, Mike Taylor, thirty years old died in his sleep, natural causes. Uh, it's always a terrible tragedy when someone that young dies, especially with, you know, he wasn't sick. He, he you know, from what we understand, it's like he didn't abuse alcohol. He didn't take pills. It wasn't like he was, uh, you know, depressed and committed suicide. Or anything. It was literally died in his sleep, natural causes, no foul play, no foreign substances, nothing like that. It was just one of these freak things. It, it unfortunately does happen. And in this case, it happened to, uh, uh, this performer in the band Walk Off the Earth, and uh, you know it's it's a tragedy. Uh, the band is uh, still fairly uh, up and coming; they're uh, fairly young, and I'd like to think that they have many years ahead of them, and that they're only getting more and more popular. And this this is an unfortunate tragedy for them, and uh, hopefully, uh, the band will continue to perform and create music. I don't know if they'll be able to uh, to replace Mike Taylor, but um, I obviously wish them the best of success moving forward and, and 
uh, Mike Taylor's death was unfortunate and tragic. My last one, you know, as we got close to Christmas of 2018, you know, Christmas time is supposed to be a nice time of year and everyone's supposed to be happy and good things happen. But on December the 17th, we lost Penny Marshall. And Penny Marshall is very, very special to me. And you can probably guess why, you know, because I love the 70s and the 80s. And Penny Marshall was a huge part of that. Because, I mean, if you think about it, you know, I mentioned about Sandra Locke. And Sandra Locke took a lot of flack because, she, you know, she only got her career because, you know, of her relationship with Clint Eastwood. And when when Penny Marshall first got started, she, her first real appearance that she made, I mean, she did a couple of guest appearances here and there. She was on The Odd Couple um, and, and, and shows like that. But... When when her brother, Gary Marshall, did Happy Days, Happy Days is obviously huge, right? And they, they did this one episode uh, where um, these two girls uh, were dates for Fonzie and Richie. And they were these two brewery workers, Laverne and Shirley. And it was obviously Penny Marshall and Cindy Williams. And they were so popular with the audience that they immediately said, we have to do a spinoff show. And they get to get their own show. And so they did. And, and, you know, again, I think there was still a little bit of criticism at the time. Well, she only got the job because of her brother. But she was so good in that show. She ran with it. Maybe he gave her an opportunity. I don't know. But boy, did she run with it because Laverne and Shirley was so good. And if you if you don't never saw the show or if you don't remember it, you know, go back and, and try and find what you can on YouTube or, you know, on DVD or anything like that. Unbelievable how not just how funny the show was, but how physical the show was. Like their their physical comedy was crazy off the charts. Like they they would be doing stuff that you just couldn't believe. The the pratfalls and stuff they were unbelievable. And then when that show wrapped up, that they moved on to California, and then there was that was still good. Lenny and Squiggy still went with them. I still liked the show then. Um, but then when the show finally wrapped up, you know, just when you think kind of well, maybe Penny Marshall's career is over. Well you know, she decides, uh, I want to be a director. And, and so she she kind of dabbled a little bit in TV. There was a show called Working Stiffs, and it was with um, Jim Belushi. And she directed a couple episodes of that and kind of, oh, I really like this directing thing. I, mean, I want to direct movies, right? And she only directed seven films. I mean, her first one wasn't very good. It was Jumpin' Jack Flash with Whoopi Goldberg. Dumb movie. I like Jumpin' Jack Flash. Oh, yeah, I think I it's it. a little underrated. Yeah. I haven't seen it in a while, but I remember enjoying it a lot. When I discovered it on video in the late 80s. But really, and her, all of our other movies, the, A League of Their Own was pretty good, I guess. But the rest of her movies weren't great or anything, but it was the second movie that she made. And that movie was big. And I mean that literally. It was called Big. And it was a big movie, too. And it, it was so big for so many reasons because it was just, it was a huge hit. Uh, and, and it really launched the career of Tom Hanks. Tom Hanks, you know, kind of was pretty successful at this point with Splash, but this movie big took him to a different level and her as well. So, I mean, just from my childhood alone, being on Happy Days, being on Laverne and Shirley, which I loved and directing big, man, Penny Marshall was huge. She was fantastic. And I just, I don't know. I, she was a big part of my childhood and, uh, and I'll never forget her and the, the mark that she had on my life. And uh, Penny Marshall was great. I'm really sad to see her go. So you had mentioned, uh, uh, that she was, you know, people said, Oh, well, she only got into this because of uh, nepotism, right? She, mm-hmm. uh, her brother was big and, uh, my wife has been watching a lot of the retrospectives on Penny Marshall, and yep. uh, she was telling me the other day that Penny Marshall basically owns that. They're like, "Oh, is it true you only got this job because uh, you know because your brother was famous?" She's like, "Yeah." How do everybody you know get a job? Someone they know recommends them for the job. She's exactly. like, yeah, that's what got my foot in the door. And then they were like, uh, you've made a lot of movies with people like Tom Hanks. You've worked with him a lot. And she's like, yeah, he's my friend. Why would I not keep casting him? Why would I not keep working with him? Like, he's an amazing an actor. Where you, yeah. yeah, you make these relationships and you you help your friends. And I like that she, she had like that no-nonsense, no-sass personality. It's like, 
it seemed like she was just the kind of woman that was like, I'm going to call it like it is, and I'm going to do it my way, and I'm a big enough star now, and I'm from a big enough family that I'm just going to do what I want to do, and I'm going to call it like I see it, and I'm not taking to anybody's crap. And going back to what I said before, the 70s and 80s were a different time, especially the 70s. You know, it wasn't all about looking like, you know, a model. Like, I mean, it was about looking real, and she she came across as unbelievably real and she was fantastic, man. Great voice, you know, great actress. Yeah, maybe she didn't look like, you know, a model, you know, like a supermodel or anything like that. But she was, she didn't have to back in the 70s. And that's what made her so great. I, Penny Marshall's awesome, man. She's awesome. Yep. Awesome. Okay, so it's it's kind of hard, you know, kind of a, a sad, you know, downer kind of thing to look back on people that we've lost. But I think it's important, too, especially for us that just love this stuff. We love pop culture to be able to reflect on people that, that, that were is special to us, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Let me tell you, when I was doing some homework for this podcast, uh, I was making up some notes earlier today, and I was getting really bummed out. I'm like, writing down all these names, I'm like, oh, we lost this person. Oh, we lost this person. Oh, we like, and especially some of the ages, like some of these people were quite young when they died, and I was like, oh man, this, like I was getting really bummed out, and I had the radio on in the background, and the song Jack and Diane by Mellencamp comes on, mm-hmm. and then the lyrics, this, the, the, the chorus comes on, it's like, oh yeah, life goes on, and I'm like, yeah, like, that's the lyric that I picked up while while I'm making this list of all these actors and performers and, and artists that have passed on, and it's like, just the lyric, the oh yeah, life goes on, and I was like, okay, and it sort of brought me back to a, a, a you know a slightly happier place so it's always amazing how music can do that right the right song the right time the right lyric hits you and it's like yeah life does go on let's oh, I agree. let's let's look at the positive i so, i agree with case, yeah uh so anyway it's time now i think to have some fun with caveman okay i just wanted to just in in the you know in trying to be fully transparent here with the show um not not to you know telltales out of school or anything Kate man but I just want to let everyone know that what um, a week ago or so you sent me a text and you were like oh man what a bummer Jack Klugman died and then oh, yeah. I look at this and I'm just I'm typing back to you and I was just going to type back and go yeah in 2012 and then you're like oh sorry wait a minute I just noticed that he died a couple of years ago and I was like you know it's so it's just so funny that you, you sent me that and it made me think and it made, not to be morose or anything like that but I sure. thought to have some fun with you here I thought you know it kind of struck me like hey you know how people are kind of sometimes kind of fooled by people that they're like these celebrity deaths right like oh so and so died well you know yeah like ages ago or whatever so i thought what sure. i do is i'll play a little game with you it's very easy 50 50 you can do this it's so simple i'm going to mention a celebrity and all you got to do is tell me if he's alive or dead okay okay that's it it's sounds easy easy <laughs> is, is the celebrity alive or dead so you mentioned jack klugman right and i mentioned he's the dead odd couple. he's dead i know that one he's now. dead we I know looked that. it up yeah he's okay. dead and we mentioned the the odd couple what about his co-star tony randall is tony randall alive or dead Ooh. Uh, dead. Yes, he died in 2004. That's correct. Um, all right. Uh, and I, I mentioned icons of television. Dick Van Dyke. Is Dick Van Dyke alive or dead? <sighs> no, he's alive because I believe he's in the new Mary Poppins movie. He is alive. You are correct. That's right. Okay. Yes. So we mentioned a lot of other 70s and 80s TV shows. One of my favorites of all times uh, had Don Knotts in it. Is Don Knotts alive or dead? Uh, no, I gotta think he's dead. Yeah, he died in 2006. That's right. Okay, uh, speaking of 70s TV shows, I love the love boat. So what about Gavin McLeod? Is Gavin McLeod alive or dead? Captain Stubing. 
I don't know who that is. I'm going to say he's alive. Yes, he is alive. He's 88 okay. years old. Okay, I mentioned Superman. I made my son watch Superman. Gene Hackman was in that. Is he alive or dead? Ooh. Uh, I think Gene Hackman's still alive. Yes, he is. He's 88 okay. years old. I mentioned uh, Gavin McLeod uh, being in The Love Boat, but he was also in another show, The Mary Tyler Moore Show with Ed Asner. Is Ed Asner alive or dead? Um... Oh, I, I seem to remember him making a TV appearance in something I watched a couple of years ago. I think he's still alive. He is. I actually just saw him in a play last summer. He wow. Did, he's, he's out doing a one-man tour, a tour of a one-man play, A Man nice. and His Prostate. It was great. I had front row seats to it. It was great. Um, okay, we're talking about the, the 70s. Uh, we're talking about Happy Days earlier. What about Marion Ross? Marion Ross, alive or dead? She played the mom, right? Yes. Uh, I got to think she's probably dead. <laughs> Nope, she is still alive. Oh. She's 90 years old, believe it or not. Wow, um, good for okay. her. Yeah, here's a, here's an oldie, Omar Sharif. Omar Sharif. Is no, Omar Sharif? I got I to gotta think Omar Sharif's dead. Yeah, he died in 2015. Uh, okay, well, I, I mentioned a lot of 70s TV shows, but the 80s had some good TV shows too, like The Golden Girls, Rue McClanahan. Is Rue McClanahan alive or dead? No, Rue McClanahan is dead. That is correct. She died in 2010. Sidney Poitier. Sidney Poitier alive or dead? I think he's still alive. He is. He's 91 and they still call him Mr. Tibbs. Yes. Uh, oh, we, I mentioned a couple couple weeks ago we did uh, a review of 16 Candles. Paul Dooley, one of my favorite actors, Canadian. Is Paul Dooley alive or dead? He played the dad. Mm, you know, I haven't seen him in a while, so I'm going to say he's dead. No, he is still kicking 90 years old, man. Very good. Wow. Um, okay, what about Max von Sydow? Max von Sydow from Flash Gordon. Uh, oh. Well, again, he's another one. We haven't seen him in a while, but I don't necessarily know if he's dead. I'm going to say he's not dead. He is still alive. He's 89 years old. Okay, very good. Gregory Peck. Remember Gregory Peck? No, That's he's got to be dead. Yes, he is. He died. Uh, another TV uh, staple back in the, in the 80s was Larry Hagman. Remember him from Dallas? Oh, yeah, J.R. Ewing. Yeah, is he alive and, or dead? And from, and from I Dream of Jeannie. Yes, he was. Alive or dead? Unfortunately, he passed recently. Well, uh, not even that recently. I think he passed a while ago. Yeah, he did. Okay, we mentioned uh, earlier one of my favorite movies is Stroker Ace, right? What about Jim Neighbors? Jim Neighbors, alive or dead? Mm, I don't know. I'm going to say dead. Yes, he is. He died. Unfortunately, um, we, we want to go way back. Let's go to black and white TV. Let's go back to the Adams family. Okay. John Aston, John Aston alive or dead. I think he's still alive. He is. He's 88 years old. And the last one that I'll, it'll be an easy one. Robert Duvall. Is Robert Duvall alive or dead? Yeah, I think he's still alive. Yeah, you did very good. Very good. Nice. You only really missed a couple. You only missed a couple. I guessed on quite a few of those, let yeah. me tell you. Oh, well, you know, it was a 50-50, you know, so yeah. it was easy enough. So yeah. uh, so uh, one thing we're going to do next week, we're going to come back. Uh, one of our good friends, first of all, um, I've mentioned on a couple of episodes lately that I'm looking for a new TV show to binge watch. I watched a couple shows recently, binge watched them, got done. I'm like, I need a new show to binge watch. What the heck am I going to watch? And I kind of put the call out there on Twitter. I got some answers, checked out a couple things, kind of like some. Didn't really like 
like others. So I need help. So what uh, what we decided to do was reach out to our good friend, Justin Mason. Now, Justin Mason is a podcaster himself. He's over on The Sleeper and the Bust. Great baseball show. If you're into baseball, check out The Sleeper and the Bust. Also with uh, with our with some other good friends of ours, uh, Jason Collett, Paul Sporer. But uh, we, we reached out to him. He said, I'm going to come on the show. So next week, we're going to get together and in Cave, you and Justin Mason are going to pitch me on ideas of TV shows that I should binge watch. And we're going to go through a whole bunch of, you're going to, I want you to sell me on why I should watch these, these shows. And we're going to talk about whether or not I would like them or not. And then we'll go from there. And anybody that wants to listen to it would, would appreciate it. Cause if they're looking to watch a binge, watch a show, they're going to get some ideas too. So I think all around it's a good show. So I mean, what do you think of that? Well, next week we'll do that. How's that? I, I love that idea, but I will caution you right yes. now. I'm not going to recommend anything that came out before 1995. And I think there's only one right now on my list that came out before the year 2000. So you're going to be way out of your comfort zone on this. This is going to be interesting. Yeah, because I really want to just go back and watch Happy Days again, right from the beginning. And my wife will not let me do it. She won't, <laughs> let, me, she won't let me go back and watch WKRP from the beginning. And, she, and, I, and I, I, I was able to get her to watch a full season of The Love Boat. I mean, that's as far as we got. We, but she watched a whole season with me. So I was really impressed with that. But then, you know, we haven't watched another one since. So I, those are all old shows, as you know. For me to watch something new, I don't know if this is going to happen. It's going to be very, very interesting. I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. But that'll be next week. We'll come back with Justin Mason, like I said. In the meantime, if you'd like to get a hold of uh, Derek, you can get him on Twitter, at Amaron underscore DM. You can find me, at C McBrien on Twitter, popgoesyourworld.com. All of our information is there. Feel free to leave us a review on iTunes. We would certainly appreciate that. Until next week, this is Chris McBride for Derek Myers, Caveman, um, saying thanks for listening to Pop Goes Your World, the pop culture podcast for the generations. Thank you for listening to the Pop Goes Your World podcast. Continue the conversation on Twitter at C. McBrien or at Yancey Eaton. Please consider leaving a review for the podcast on iTunes or wherever you download and listen to the show. 